Uh, good morning. It's always a privilege to be able to uh, come and worship God together. Uh, I want to encourage us to follow our new city catechism, especially if you have kids at home. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to have some spiritual conversations and some questions that will result uh, in what we are memorizing together. And also next week is our first fruit. We've been doing this for almost a decade. Um, I want to encourage us to take it uh, seriously, take it with faith. You know, it's always the beginning of uh, the year, and so we want to um, give our best unto the Lord and really expect this faith adventure for the rest of the year. All right? Well, we're continuing our series uh, through the book of Romans. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will move freely and pour the love of God abundantly into our lives. May we understand what it means to be declared righteous, that truly we will be able to worship you in the midst of trials and to learn to forgive as you have forgiven us. Thank you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. <coughs> Amen. <coughs> Stephen Curtis Chapman is a well-known worship leader and songwriter. In April of 2004, he was in Beijing leading a worship and it changed his whole life. You see, he was missing his own daughters. And so he saw this young couple um, carrying a baby girl. And he asked if he could hold her in his arms. While he was carrying her, uh, they told him that actually um, the girl wasn't their, their child. They were just fostering the child till somebody comes along to adopt her. And so he asked, what's her name? And he replied, Mariah. Now, Mariah was a popular song that Chapman had just written a few years prior to that. And so when he heard this, he realized this is not a coincidence. In fact, he was convicted that he should adopt the girl. Now his wife took some convincing. After all, they already have five children. But eventually she agreed. So you can imagine, right? You go for a business trip and you come back with a baby. No wonder your life has changed forever. Now the girl was full of life uh, and the family loved her. Immediately, they took her in and uh, the family of eight felt complete. But four years later, tragedy struck. Nick, who was a 17-year-old brother, was backing his car into the garage when he hit the little girl. She ran into the path unseen and she was hit and she died on the spot. Stephen Curtis Chapman, over the span of his life, led thousands upon thousands of people into the presence of God to worship God. Question is, in the midst of this tragedy, how would he and his family respond? How would we respond in our fears and tears? We know we are declared righteous because of the gospel, but so what? As Australian pastor called Christy Buckingham, her life mission is to overturn the death sentence. One day she read about these two Australians. Andrew Chan and Miu Sakumuran. They were attempting to smuggle $4 million worth of heroin into Indonesia and they were arrested. They were facing the death sentence. And so on a prayer journal she wrote, she says, Lord, how stupid can they be? But nevertheless, have mercy on them. Six years later, she was in Bali on, on, on some ministry and someone she knew said, uh, she knows the two of them. And she, she said, I told them what you are doing, fighting the death sentence. And they asked if you could visit and pray with them. So Christy agreed. Her husband and her, they went to this Korabokan prison, which is a notorious prison. It was overcrowded, run down. There was over a thousand hardcore inmates. People were in there because of 
They were murderers or terrorists. So she said when she first saw Andrew and Mew, it didn't fit her imagination of what a drug trafficker should look like. Especially, you know, there's this look of joy and peace on their faces. Mew explained to her that, you know, Andrew became a Christian in the prison and he kept badgering him with the gospel. At first he was irritated, but eventually he was intrigued and he too became a Christian. Actually, both of them grew up in Christian families. And so, they say they're going to spend the rest of their life in prison serving the people. The question is, how are they able to find hope in the midst of this darkness? To serve and love these people who are all these hardcore prisoners. How about us? How would we respond when we face difficult people, trying circumstances? After all, we know that we are, because of the gospel, we are declared righteous. But so what? What difference does that make? Joan has a sister, Patricia. At the age of 57, she was diagnosed with cancer. Prior to that, she didn't have any symptoms and she was very healthy. But her condition deteriorated rapidly. Within five weeks, she was hanging on to, for her life. The whole extended family are devout followers of Christ. But this decline happened so quickly, they didn't know how to respond. How would we respond? Facing a personal crisis. We know that we are declared righteous by the gospel, but so what? Friends, that's the question I would like us to consider today as we look at Romans 5, verse 1 to 21. You see, in the book of Romans, in the introduction, it encapsulates the whole book. And Paul says the gospel is that Jesus is the Messiah. We trust Him by, we are saved by faith, and so we need not be ashamed of the gospel. Then he goes on to unpack that all of us have sinned, Jews and Gentiles, because sin is defined as not being perfect. We are not able to hit the perfection of God. But it's also seen, seen, sin is seen as self-centeredness. We turn away from God and people. That is why the essence of the law is love God, love others. And we know we cannot do it. That is why we need Jesus to, to renew and to repair the relationship with God and with others. Hence, the second portion, chapter 3 onwards, it says salvation is by faith. It's what Christ has done. His righteousness becomes ours. God provides it. It's like we are all bankrupt, you know, no money. Jesus is a millionaire. And then, you know, He paid now us and suddenly, bring all of us have a million dollars. It's not because we are righteous. It's not because we are moral. It's because of what Christ has done credited to us. Now, does that mean that we go on sinning? Does that mean we don't do any good things and we live our own self-centered lives? No. In Paul words, Paul's own words, may ginoto, may it never be. And he'll go on to tell you why we shouldn't. There's a process of sanctification. But to pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, first we must understand what is the result of being declared righteous. That's why chapter 5, which is the first section of the third Portion, righteousness brings freedom and life. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 21, we'll see two results of being declared righteous. Two results of being declared righteous. And thirdly, the reason we are declared righteous. Two results and one reason. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. If you have Bibles, please open with me. It says that we may have peace with God. We are declared righteous so that we have peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith. This is a conclusive statement from the previous segment, right? 
You read to this point, he explains salvation. He says, therefore, the result of being justified by faith, the result of being declared righteous is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We exult in hope of the glory of God. What is peace? Well, between Israel and Gaza, they're having war. They have no peace, right? So there's fear, there's destruction. You know, they, they don't have relationship with one another. But between Malaysia and Singapore, we are at peace. We are, have business uh, trips. We go there to spend money, right? So when you have peace, you have a relationship. And so what Paul is saying when we're justified by faith is that we have a relationship with God. We can draw close to Him. Friends, when you think about justification, what do you think about? What comes to mind? You're, you're declared righteous. You think, well, we are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. That's true, but that's only one part of being declared righteous. Declared righteous has a fuller meaning. You see, forgive, when we think about forgiveness of sin, it's like God saying, now you can go. You're free. You know, your penalty has been paid. But to be justified, to be declared righteous means now you can come. We have peace. You can draw near to me. If being declared righteous is just forgiveness of sin, how would we feel? Relief, right? We are not judged anymore. Thankful, grateful. But Scripture says we exalt, we rejoice in hope. That's because to be declared righteous is, not, is more than just sins forgiven. Is now we can come freely to the presence of God. Now we can have an intimate relationship with Him. We have peace. We can exalt in the hope of the glory. And then he continues to explain, not only this, we can exalt, the same word, exalt in our tribulations, in our trials and difficult times. Why? Knowing that tribulation results in perseverance, brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. In tribulation, when we continue to follow Him, we persevere, and as a result of perseverance, our character grows. See, if we think that we love God, you know, we are faithful Christians, but when we run into difficult times, we turn away, we don't come to church, we don't want to worship, that means, you know, our relationship with God is not that close, right? Your love of God is probably a figment of your imagination rather than reality. But when we grow, we persevere, it becomes part of our character. We are responding to God. We are worshipping God not out of emotions, but it's who we are. It gives us hope. And hope is real. It doesn't disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In times of trials, many times what we need is not answers. It's not that this thing will be resolved. What we need is to know that God has not abandoned us. There is holding our hands walking through this dark valley. And so when we read God's word and speak to us, when God uses other people, brothers and sisters, as encouragement, and we know His presence, friends, that's when we have, our hope is revived. Isn't it? Scripture here talks about suffering. You know, suffering and death, we don't like to talk about this. Sometimes as Christians, we feel like, why do you want to talk about suffering? We should think about the positive things. But you know, when we turn to the Bible, it says we suffer. And in the midst of suffering, we have hope. The suffering, why do we need to suffer? When we understand the depths of our depravity, then we understand why suffering is necessary. It's necessary 
to remove the deepest idols in our hearts. It's necessary to relieve the grip of the flesh over our souls. It's necessary to reveal the deep-rooted love of the world within our hearts and turn it to God because, you know, you come to the end of the road. What else can you do? We see our own struggles and weakness and love for the world and we can only surrender. But the love of God is poured forth in our hearts and we know we can turn to Him. And so in our Christian faith, suffering is at the very heart of our Christian faith. It is not only the way Christ became like us to redeem us, but it is also one of the main ways we become like Him and experience His redemption. Why do we suffer? We must understand God is not a party pooper. He is not there to punish us. Sometimes people tell me, you know, Pastor, my life is going very well, I'm afraid. I say, why are you afraid? So it's going so well, maybe God will do something to me, you know, to test my, test my faith. I say, my goodness, where do we get that concept of God? Scripture tells us, if you as earthly fathers know how to give good things to your children, what more our heavenly Father? Luke chapter 11, right? And it says, the good thing, the best thing He's given us is the Holy Spirit. Recently, we bought some uh, nice clothes for our children. Now, we don't usually do that. But we are doing this because next week is my sister-in-law's uh, wedding. And so, when we buy things, nice things for them and they are happy, you know, I feel happy too. There's a sense of happiness that you're able to give good things to your children. And, and, and when I felt that, it struck me, that's exactly how God feels. You know, God is not a sadist, you know, not punish us and say, huh, you got faith or not? He's not like that. He's a good father. And Scripture tells us when we go through suffering, it's a process we grow to Christ's likeness. And hence Paul adds, he says, um, sorry, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for the righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Will you die for, for someone who is good? Maybe. Probably not, unless, you know, we are, they're related to us, right? But here he says, God died for us even while we are enemies, even while we are sinners. That is why we are reconciled to Him. And if that's the case, then you know whatever suffering you're going through, it's necessary. If God had, can do it in any other way, if He could have avoided it, He would have. But He didn't. The word we can exalt in tribulation has always puzzled me. Another translation is we can rejoice in tribulation. How? Does it mean that, you know, when you, your child dies and you say, oh, my child died, but I'm still rejoicing? You know, that's not faith, okay? There's something wrong. So I went to study this word. The word, the Greek word, kalkomai, boast, rejoice. It didn't quite make sense. Then I went and looked at the subtusion, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. The Old Testament translated to Greek. Greek. Okay, because back then, um, their second, third generation Jewish people could not read Hebrew anymore. Okay, they only could read Greek, like our children, right? Cannot read Chinese. So, they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. Now, the Greek word they use, or the Hebrew kakomai, uh, they use the, the original Hebrew word is halal. One of the words. Halal is where we get the word hallelujah. Praise worship. 
And then it began to make sense. We can worship God even through tribulations because we know what God is doing. Can we, can you worship God in the toughest and darkest valleys of life? Death and suffering is not something we like to talk about. But why? Why are we unable to face up to this reality when it is part of life? There's an anthropologist, Richard Schroeder. He studies all these old cultures. And he says our modern culture, you know, it's the first time in human history that we don't like to, or we're unable to face death and suffering because we have no resources to face it. It's all these old cultures, they have something in common. Uh, in each case, they have one thing in common. In each case, hello, don't they help me, thank you. <laughs> they have one thing in common. In each case, the main thing to live for was something outside this material world and life. Some object, some object that suffering and death could not touch. He's saying that, you see, all these old cultures, what they hope for is something beyond just this world. So if it's beyond this world, then suffering and death cannot touch it. In each case, death and tragedy are able to destroy the meaning in life. They can actually hasten the journey towards it, whether it is through spiritual growth or achievement of honour or virtue. He says, but our culture today, you know, our only hope is this life. And suffering and death affects it, and so we don't know how to face it, and so we just avoid this topic. Paul Brandt, who is the mentor of Philip Yancey, he has, was a um, missionary in India for many years as a doctor. He says, it is because the meaning of life is the pursuit of pleasure and personal freedom that suffering is so traumatic. He says, in our culture, because our meaning of life is to pursue freedom, to pursue uh, pleasure. That is why when we experience death, experience suffering, it's so traumatic. But if our hope is not just in this world, then we have the resources to face it. As Christians, when we turn to the Bible, it tells us we can worship God through tribulations. Can you do it? Steve Curtis Chapman, after his daughter died, he called his friend Matt Redman. Redman is another uh, worship leader. He wrote the, the, the song 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord. Redman says when he saw Curtis uh, Chapman's number appear on his phone, he was afraid to pick it up because he didn't know what to say. And that is a very natural response, right? When people in our DG or family members go through crisis. Sometimes it's so, we are so broken, we, we don't want to face them. We are afraid because we don't know what to say. But friends, this is exactly where we need the ministry of presence. Pick up the phone, send a text, just be there and don't say anything. And if Redman pick up the phone and he says, I'm so sorry, I heard what happened to your daughter. I just want you to know that we are praying for you. And Chapman asked him, he says, I don't know if you're free, but can you fly over to my town? Tomorrow is a funeral. I would like you to lead us in worship and sing your song, 10,000 Reasons to Bless the Lord. Redman said he went the next day. The whole church was packed with people. Everyone there knew what they had been through, knew their pain and their tears. And he says, you know, it was not me who was leading worship. I was just an accompaniment. It was the family. They stood up there and sang this worship song. Sometimes, friends, we sing all these lyrics. It costs us nothing. Right? We just sing. 
But when life is most difficult, are we able to truly mean what we sing? And everyone in the building that day were moved because despite what they were going through, the family, the Chapman family was still able to stand to worship God and bless Him. Worship is the key to, uh, to the window of God's heart, to see into God's heart. It is a powerful weapon of truth in our darkest night. When logic no longer makes sense, when no words can comfort us, when we have cried till we have no tears, friends, that is when we worship. It touches the deepest part of our soul when nothing else can touch. When you're holding your child who is sick and the doctor says cancer, we have so many questions about this death, but you have no answers. That is when we worship. Worship brings us, it's a bridge that brings us from this broken and painful world into the presence of a loving and certain God. When we worship, it reminds us that God is closer than we think even though our lives are stained by grief. Worship reminds us that our loved ones, he or she is in the arm of Jesus, even though our arms are empty. Worship reminds us that whatever trials we are going through, we can still bless the Lord. You have been justified by faith. You are declared righteous. So what? So friends, it means whatever you're going through, we can still worship Him. The second result, not just that we have peace, but we have been saved from the wrath of God. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified. Notice this is repeat from verse 1, right? Verse 1, they conclude from beginning. After he thought until verse 8, verse 9, he repeats it. This is the second result of justification. Having now been declared righteous by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Saved from the wrath of God. So what? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. When we are enemies, Christ already died for us. Already we are restored to God. How much more in our life, how much more now as Christians, we shall be saved? Not only this, but we also exalt. See, again, he repeats the word kakomai. In God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. To be reconciled means to have friendship. To have the relationship restored. When we are declared righteous, it means we are friends with God. You know, are there people in our lives that we find hard to reconcile with? Especially people we love, our families that hurt us so badly. If the gospel means that we have been reconciled with God, can we demonstrate this reconciliation? Now, have you forgiven someone before? Is it easy? Now, if you say it's easy, probably you haven't forgiven somebody, you know. And when we forgive someone, we need to pay a price. If you can forgive without paying a price, it probably means you haven't forgiven. You turn around and say, ah, I hate this person. When God forgave us, Jesus paid the price. And if we have been reconciled and forgiven, why is it we cannot forgive those who treat us badly? 
know, Andrew Chan and Miu Sakumoran. They were in the prison for nine years. Andrew got his uh, seminary degree, became a pastor in the prison, and Miu became an accomplished artist. Pastor Christie continued to fight against the death sentence, but all her efforts to get the death sentence of the two of them overturned were in vain. One day she received this call. The person said, you better get on a plane and fly here soon. They will be executed next week. Eight prisoners were to be shot and they were allowed to invite their spiritual guide um, to visit them. Andrew invited his youth pastor and Mew invited Pastor Christie. He came to his dinky cell and they started talking for about an hour. Pastor Christie says, you know, Scripture says we enter the, the courts of the Lord with praise and thanksgiving. And Mew replied, say, that's great. I know exactly what I'll be singing when I enter the courts of the Lord. And even though Pastor Christie knew what he would sing, what was his favourite song, she asked, what will you be singing? And he said, 10,000 reasons. Then they were all brought into this dark courtyard. She sat there in darkness and thought, this is where they will be executed. But this will not be a place of slaughter, but a place of sacred worship. This will not be a place of horror, but a place of holiness. Then she heard some clanging of metal sounds and she realised the shackles, metal chains that shackled the prisoners. They were being brought out. And she heard a familiar voice singing 10,000 reasons. It was a single voice and then slowly the other prisoners added in. At the end of the first stanza, everybody present responded with the second stanza, including the 40 guards there. Over the nine years, they've, they've seen how their lives changed, how it impacted the prison. And so the 40 guards form two lines, like a guard of honour. And they were sobbing. One of them broke ranks and hugged Mew. And he says, please forgive us. Because they were about to shoot them. Please forgive Indonesia. And you know, Mew said, I forgive you. And he went down the run, hugging everyone, saying, I forgive you. Finally, he came to Pastor Christie, and he says, I'm sorry I asked you to do this. But I know you will speak up fearlessly, fight for the freedom and life of other inmates facing death sentences. And she nodded. A prison warden raised his hands. One more minute. And she said, Mew, being able to know you is the privilege of my life. It's my privilege to be here today. Are you ready to face the Lord? And he nodded. He says, I've forgiven everybody. And then he began to sing the song as they walked to the front. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship His holy name. He sang with calmness and confidence and then the bullets rang out and there was silence. No more singing, no more noises. They stepped into eternity. You know, this whole story, actually, Christy Buckingham made into a short movie. You can go find it, called Execution Island. Question is, how were they able to step, to face death with such confidence? How were they able to forgive the people who were going to execute them? Because they have been declared righteous. 
If we have been declared righteous, it means we've been reconciled, we're friends with God, we've been forgiven, then who in our lives can we not forgive? And why is it that we can do that? Well, it's not because we are good people. It's not because we are moral people. It's not because we have great faith and spirituality. But it's because of Jesus. So Paul goes on to say, it's through the obedience of Jesus, the last Adam. That is the reason we are declared righteous. It brings us back to the gospel. He says, therefore, the third therefore, right? The first two is the result of justification. The third, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, death through sin, and so spread to all men because all sin. We say God's creation is very good. You say we got very good. Well, it's because sin has not entered, but now sin has entered. Right? And because sin entered, death entered. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of offense of Adam. Even though the people didn't sin like Adam sinned, they do the same sin, but death still reigned over them because all have fallen short of the glory of God. Adam is a type of him who was to come. What is a type? A type is a story, a figure, an event of the Old Testament that points to Jesus. So last year, our greatest love story ever told was really a sermon series on types, right? We went through the Old Testament, how it points to Jesus. So in types, there are similarities and differences. What's the similarity? That one die affect all, one safe affect all. It says, but the free gift is not like transgression. For if by transgression of one that many died, much more did the grace of God and give by grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Not everybody died. Enoch, Elijah didn't die. They were taken up. Not everybody will be saved. Only those who place their faith in Jesus. So abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one's transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Similarities, one die affect all, one save affect all. Differences, one result in condemnation, one result in justification. Again, that word, declared righteous. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there result justification of life to all men. We are justified, declared righteous. We are not righteous. Jesus is righteous. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. Through the obedience of the last Adam. A few weeks ago, I said, you know, when Adam sinned, he told God, blame my bride, don't blame me. Blame Eve, right? But Jesus Christ, the last Adam, when he was hanging on the cross, he says, don't blame my bride, the church. Blame me. That is the gospel. That we turn to Jesus. And you say every week, why always say the same thing? Right? Every time I say the gospel, always say the basic ABC. See, the gospel is not the ABCs of our faith. It's the A to Z of our faith. We enter the faith by the grace of the gospel. We will face Jesus by the grace of the gospel. And friends, every day of our lives, we need the grace of the gospel. In our new city catechism, we want us to be able to think theologically. All of us are theological. Our theology affects our worldview, our worldview affects our behavior and choices. The only question is do you know what forms your worldview? 
So scripture says, or the, tell us that God created all things, it was very good. But we look around and say, why, why very good? Well, because sin has entered, so it's not good. And that is why Jesus has to come. You realize when Jesus came and died, he reconciled us to him, but he also reconciled all creation, which means our life in Christ, the abundant life, the eternal life, the fullness of life, we can experience this goodness in our relationships, our marriages, our work. And we live by faith in response to who He is. We are declared righteous because of the obedience of Jesus. You know, Joan's sister, Patricia, um, when she got diagnosed very quickly, her health deteriorated. She lasted five weeks. On last day, she was surrounded by 31 of her family members. They were praying, singing, reading scripture, saying goodbye to her. Finally, they sang her favourite song, 10,000 Reasons. And Joan recorded, she says, and among all the voices, I heard this weak voice struggling to be heard. This voice struggling for breath. This voice struggling to hold her tune. And then, it stopped. Her last note in this world became her first in the next. She entered eternity worshipping God. Oh, friends, can we face death like this? All of us are going to die. We know it for a fact, but we live as if we never die. And then suddenly we get the news, everything collapsed. Why? Can we worship God? even in the midst of all our struggles and tears. Matt Redman, as he explains about worship, he says, when we worship, we let the throne set the tone, not our finances, our struggles, or our worst fears. The more we focus on God and who He is, the more we start to see the whole of our lives through that lens. We let the revelation of who Jesus is dictate the terms. We invite the glory of God to define our story. In the middle of one's life storm, you're unlikely to feel like worshipping, let alone finding reasons for thanks and praise. But that is the discipline of worship. Worship is a choice we can always make. When you say, I cannot walk any longer, then don't walk. Just kneel. Look up. Worship. When we worship God, we see the bigger picture. We look at things from His lenses and you realize, you know, I'm not the main character in this story. God is. He graciously invites us into His story and therefore, we can worship Him. You know, I finished this sermon last June, July or August. And I guess God knew what He was doing. Last December, I would say, it's the darkest period of my life. And over the last two months, you know, what I did, I took up this 10,000 Reason Challenge. Every day for 30 days, I woke up and I sang this song. Because I didn't know what else I could do. And then it flowed into this year. Every morning I get up, my New Year resolution, right, 5 o'clock. The first thing I get up, I worship God. Now, I must tell you, I'm not a morning person, okay? But Jesus is. Right? Every time he has, you look at the Bible, he has decisions to make. He's up early in the morning praying. And if we want to lead a life of significance, 
We want to impact God's kingdom, have a life of some eternal value. I think the very least we can do is to wake up and talk to Him. And when we have nothing to say, and when God's word doesn't mean a thing to you, what we can do is worship Him. Will you come before God with your hands opened, your tears, your grief, your struggles, the people that you cannot forgive, and we worship? Let us pray. Because we have been declared righteous, we know whatever you go through, God is still sovereign, God is still good. God is God, man is man, I am not God, He is God. And so let us rise, let us bring our burdens before the Lord to pray. Let us rise to our feet.